All right, well, welcome everyone to the Truth and Democracy Coalition monthly meeting. My name is Rich Proceda. I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of the Truth and Democracy podcast. Today, we have Dr. Susan Neiman with us who will talk about the difference about being woke versus being left. But first, uh, before we start, I want to tell you a little about the Truth and Democracy Coalition and about our upcoming events. So the Truth and Democracy Coalition was formed to build a pro-democracy movement in America. We educate the public about disinformation, teach people to be critical of the propaganda they consume, and provide critical analysis of current events and social issues. We produce media and educational materials, hold seminars and meetings, work with other organizations, and organize events and activity geared toward building a pro-democracy movement in America. The coalition seeks to build communities of people of different faiths and ideologies to defend and promote democracy locally, nationally, and globally. Then on June 4th, we will start our monthly Red Pill Men's Group. So to register for that, this nonpartisan men's support group, go to tinyurl.com slash redpillmen. Then on July 16th at 2 p.m., we will have the first, our first January 6th Remembrance Event Planning Committee meeting. We're planning our annual event to remember the attempted coup and insurrection against the United States Congress. It is important to remember what happened and not let the horrendous actions of then President Donald Trump and his extremist followers to attempt to overthrow our government and install Trump as dictator for life. In order to resist authoritarianism in America, we need to keep the events of January 6, 2021 at the forefront of people's mind as we head into the 2024 elections with Donald Trump still the front runner for the Republican nomination. So we're going to be organizing this event in Whittier and we're going to help other people organize events in their hometowns. So join us on July 16th at 2 p.m. by registering at tinyurl.com slash Jan 6th, that's a 6th TH, 2024. And then finally, make sure to check out our YouTube page and to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash at, and that's the at symbol, Truth and Democracy Coalition. So now let's turn to our discussion with Dr. Neiman. Dr. Neiman is a Harvard-educated American moral philosopher, cultural commentator, and SAS. Um, she has written extensively on the juncture between enlightenment, moral philosophy, metaphysics, and politics, both, both for scholarly audiences and the general public. She describes herself as a lifelong leftist and socialist and is an unlikely critic of wokeism. She argues that the tenets of the woke have become anti-theoretical to the traditional values of the left. Welcome, Dr. Neiman. I'm glad to be here. So I don't want, I hope I'm not dumping on woke here this, with this next question. <laughs> but um, there, there is this idea on the left, and it's promoted most vigorously by a man named 
Javi Lopez that white people will never support anti-racist policies, that we should model anti the anti-racist movement on white supremacist movements by promoting racial division, and that all the left has to do is wait for this demographic demographic shift from a white majority nation to a minority majority nation and that white people will be defeated and a multi-racial democracy will take hold and some have called this wishful thinking but i think it's incredibly misguided to think that we will win the struggle for justice by fanning fanning the flames of hatred and whether that hatred is directed at people of color or against white people. And I think one thing I wanted to add is that I think white people are in despair now um, for a variety of reasons and not, and particularly about the mess, the narratives that are coming out. Um, so you write in your book that to suggest that racism has hardly changed in a, in a century dishonors the memory of those who struggled to change it. And when well-meaning liberals claim that racism is not a historically contingent fact, but an inborn flaw, they shift the blame to individuals, usually poor white deplorables, rather than to political systems. And if this is true, we sh shouldn't we be concerned about this anti-white narrative? It isn't anti-racism and wokeism actually anti-white, anti-American, anti-male, anti-Western world and anti-liberal. Once again, I'm I'm um I'm just a bit uncomfortable with the the direction that you're trying to lead me into. Um first of all, happily enough, I don't know um you say Harvey Lopez. I'm Harvey um, Harvey Lopez. Harvey Lopez. Okay, I've, you know, and I, I I read around an awful lot on the subject, so I've never heard of him. So he's not that famous. Um, yeah, somebody I know, um, you know, whose work I have read, for example, is um, the Afro pessimist, and that the person who uh, you know used the word Afro, coined the word Afro pessimism, um, Frank Wilderson, and various of his followers, um, which has a very similar view um, that uh, you know anti-black racism is the oldest, deepest form of hatred and it will never be eradicated um you know i come from a people <laughs> who sometimes say exactly the same thing right anti-semitism is the oldest form of prejudice and you know we have to beware of every uh every other tribe because they were always out to kill us um and so you know we can um you know deny civil rights to the Palestinians because everybody who suggests that we should think more about civil rights um, is uh, anti-Semitic. So I don't hold either of those views because I don't think that people are easily divided into tribes. First of all, the, the demographic question, that's just demographic determinism. I mean, as I said at the beginning, the idea that um, Kamala Harris is necessarily going to support Modi, who's a fascist, according to my Indian friends, um, simply because her mother was from India. All right. That's just the same kind of thing. Actually, the percentage of people that's growing the most in the United States are mixed race 
children. Um, so that's actually a good development. But the idea that, you know, um, you know, white people will never really, uh, you know, fight anti-Black racism. I mean, tell it to John Brown, tell it to Andrew Goodman and Mickey Schwerner and quite a number of, you know, heroic white people um, who gave their lives for the fight against racism. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's just it's a historically silly claim, and I have to say it was a claim that was unfortunately mirrored in the uh, in the Amazon film of Underground Railroad. I mean, Paul Robeson would have laughed his head off at that depiction of um, you know no no good white people in ten segments of the Underground Railroad, which could not have existed without the help of certain white people. So, you know, um, and, and vice versa. I mean, there were black people who fought in the Abraham Lincoln brigades, you know, to, um, you know, free Spain from the fascists, okay? Um, you know, there are all kinds of examples of people who even, uh, you know, even gave up their lives for some other tribes right to justice. So, you know, you're absolutely right. I think it's um, it's very dangerous to go down this road. It's also just historically false. I mean, the other thing that's really interesting to think about is, um, you know, we have now come to the conclusion that race is a social construct and it has no real um, basis in, in biology. Germany right now wants to take the word race out of the constitution. There's an argument about that. Germany's quite woke at the moment. And it wants to take the word, uh, you know, we, we don't discriminate against race, creed, et cetera, et cetera. But they think they're going to stop racism by taking the word out. But okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a little silly. But um, we know that it's constructed. We know that it changes. Um, we, you know, in the 19th century, neither Jews nor uh, Italians nor Irish people were considered to be white. I mean, you know, you can you can find signs still on on uh, on the Internet, you know, no dogs, no obscene word for a person of color, no Irish, no Jews. OK, um, so our conceptions of race are constructed they change i don't know what we're gonna you know how we're going to look at it 50 years from now i won't be around 50 years from now um i sure hope they're doing a better job than we are now yeah. i just i mean what you know one of one of the the points uh, that i do make in my book um is that we all have lots of identities that are terribly important to us and important at different stages of our lives, you know? And to reduce all of our identities to two, and indeed, you know, race and gender, and indeed to the two over which we have the least agency is an impoverished view of human being. Thank you so much for your for your comments and um those, those are some of the concerns that I've been having um, 
and some of the difficulties I've been having. But what I want to do is I want to open it up to questions now. So if yeah, you looks like uh, people have been chatting furiously. <laughs> yes, that's one thing we just unlimited chat. There's a free speech chat rule here. So, um, so just raise your your hand. I probably won't be able to read all of the chat. So just raise your. There's a in the reactions menu. There is a uh, raise hand feature. So if you want to um, ask a question or make a comment, um, please do that. And that way I can um, get you up. And uh, so let's start with um, my friend, um, Denise. So um, go ahead, Denise. Hi, I was just wondering what the actual definition of woke is and how it came about in the past and currently, because I wasn't familiar with it before. Uh, before tonight? No, before recently, you know, because you hear <laughs> okay. about it now politically, but I wasn't aware of it before the last year or so. So look, um, as I said, woke started out as uh, originally, the first use of it was as a warning about the Scottsboro boys, right? Um, you know, nine um, teenagers in Alabama, nine black teenagers in Alabama were falsely accused of rape and would have been uh, executed had it not been for a very broad campaign, by the way, in the United States uh, by the socialists and then an international campaign. And Leadbelly's song was Stay Woke, meaning pay attention to injustice, pay attention to discrimination. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, no one has agreed on an absolute uh, definition of woke, but I define it by saying um, it begins with a concern for oppression and injustice, but it winds up reducing everyone to their oppression. Okay, it's called intersectionality in the jargon. Um, it begins with a concern for um, also injustice, but winds up confusing justice and power. Mm -hmm. And it begins with the concern to right the crimes and misfortunes of history, but then it winds up concluding that all history is basically a series of crimes, okay? And one can talk a bit about more, you know, ways to, um, ways to define it, but I think that does a pretty good job. Okay, so um, let's bring in um, John DeVal. Um, go ahead, John. Thanks. Um, I have a brief story to tell, but I think I can keep it to a minute or two. Um, I, I have been somebody who's been very skeptical about all the talk about woke and, and thinking it was overblown, especially by the political right. And then something happened to me that really shifted my perspective. I, I was, I'm a member of an organization, a very active member that goes back about 20 years and is identified, self-identified as a very progressive organization. And recently uh, we invited, but we were dominated by uh, older white males and females. And we wanted to bring in a more diverse base. So we invited some some people, uh, you know, especially Latino and, and indigenous related people onto, into our organization. 
and they proceeded to basically take over the organization. They, they, when they got a majority on the board of directors by, frankly, very devious means of getting people to quit off the board, and then they actually fired some people off the board who they didn't have the right to do under the, under the organization's you know, mandate. And so they've now established a board of directors that's totally BIPOC, They've ejected anybody who was white or even agent, uh, or Asian rather, from having any position of status in the board. And they've alienated basically all of the people who founded this organization over the last two decades. Um, so this is the sort of thing that I think of when I think of the excesses of, of woke. Well, I, I know what you're talking about, but honestly, I have seen this in cultural organizations, in publishing houses, in, you know, museums and theaters. And it's actually not people of color who are leading those charges. It as you know, a lot of white people with a certain amount of guilt, some of it perhaps justified, who are shouting the loudest. Um, uh, I mean, it's interesting. My, uh, I can tell another story. I want to listen to other people, but I, my my daughter got accused uh, early on during Black Lives Matter when actually what she wanted to do, and she didn't even know she was doing it, was to reproduce Freedom Summer. Um, if you remember, anybody here, um, Freedom Summer was when the great community organizer Bob Moses, um, who also began his life as a philosopher. Um, was discouraged by the fact that his campaign to register voters in Mississippi uh, was only resulting in black voters being murdered. And the thought was that if you got white people, you know, a thousand white students to come down to Mississippi, people would be more disinclined to murder them. So you put white students in the front. Um, in fact, the Klan was not afraid to murder. They did murder two white people, but um, you know it went on. And my daughter's idea was that white people, this is at a time when um, more black people are being arrested um, and the jails are hotbeds of COVID. And her idea was, well, if white people went out in front and knelt on the street, they'd be first of all, less likely to be arrested and secondly, less likely to be jailed. So I thought it was great, she was getting organized. Um, her white friends said, you have a white savior complex. This is not something you should do. And they really gave her a hard time um, so much that you know she was quite upset about it. Her black friends, <laughs> when she told them, I said, what are you talking about? You know, it's a good idea. It's not a racist idea. So, so I just want to make it clear that, um, you know, people of color are by no means uh, unified, have unified positions on these issues at all. I have lots of friends who are extremely discouraged uh, and dismayed with some of these discussions. Um, and, uh, you know, let's, I, I'm sorry that this happened in your organization and it happened to be people of color, but I've seen exactly the same shifts being argued for by white people trying to make up for whatever they're trying to make up for in their past. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, John, let's bring in um, Professor Joseph Dowd. Go ahead. Uh, Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, Well, thanks for having this event. Uh, I actually have three questions and I'm worried about time. So uh, it's fine if you don't get to all of them. And these are somewhat um, esoteric, I guess, relative to other questions that might be asked, but I'm a I'm another uh, philosopher, so <laughs> that might explain it. Okay. Um, first question. Can I turn on your camera? <laughs> uh, no, I don't have a camera. Uh, okay. I, I, yes, my camera broke in order to enhance uh, my attractiveness. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so first question, you're, you're a social democrat and call yourself a socialist, and you've explained why you do so. Um, I have no problem with that. Uh, but do you think it can be useful to distinguish social democracy from socialism? So that's the first question. Uh, I know that's kind of uh, not that relevant to our topic. Second question, do you think that woke, as you define it, might just be a passing fad? I mean, people used to say that something called postmodernism was taking over left-wing academia. Now, I've never been sure what postmodernism was supposed to be, um, as I'm sure you know, most thinkers who were labeled postmodernists didn't use the term themselves. Uh, but as far as I can tell, postmodernism was supposed to have something to do with relativism. Um, and it seems to me wokeism has completely reversed that trend. I mean, the moral ideas that you call wokeism may not be universalist, but they're certainly absolutist. Uh, like on the internet, the people who get called woke and social justice warriors and that kind of thing get criticized precisely for being too rigid in their moral stances. And if relativism has come and gone among left-wing academics, then shouldn't we expect wokeism to come and go among left-wing activists? And finally, my third question is, um, you briefly mentioned intersectionality. Do you think that there can be value to the concept of intersectionality if we simply define it as the idea that a person's disadvantages Um, result from a kind of complex interaction of factors. And you can't, for example, explain the disadvantages that a Black woman experiences by adding up the disadvantages associated with racism and the disadvantages associated with sexism. Okay, three good questions. Let me try and answer them briefly. Um, I would love to have, you know, an international interesting discussion about the difference between social democracy and socialism. I actually don't think there's a huge difference. Um, We did not have a conversation. We, and I'm now speaking internationally, and I've had a lot of people confirm this, in 1991, after the collapse of state socialism in the Soviet Union, there was never an international conversation. Where did it go wrong? What happened? What other forms of socialism might there be? It just didn't happen. Everybody keeled, I mean, most people keeled over. Um, and said, you know, I guess it's the end of history and there's no alternative to uh, what, you know, what we now have. Um, So, you know, I'd love to open up a conversation about different varieties of socialism. Um, But until that conversation takes place, um, I'm going to keep using the word um, socialism, even though I work with the Social Democratic Party. I mean, they consider themselves to be socialists. They are in some 
sense. Um, and I'm going to continue using it, particularly, um, you know, with audiences in America who uh, have all of the awful associations with the word socialism that Rich was pointing out in the beginning. I, I want to bring us back some awareness of a great American tradition. If everybody's got Spotify, I highly recommend an album to you called That's Why We're Marching. And it's got Woody Guthrie and Josh White and Pete Seeger and Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. And you get a little history of the American socialist movement from about, you know, mid 30s to mid 40s in a very American idiom. You learn a lot from that. Okay. Uh, does postmodern did postmodernism come and go? Oh, no, no, no. Postmodernism morphed into postcolonialism and um and woke. So you're absolutely right. There's a distinction between um, you know, the woke are certainly very absolutist and they're absolutely sure of themselves, but that does not mean um that they're not relativists because as i show in the book and this is you know more than i have time to go into um it's it's a set of theories i mean michel foucault of course he wouldn't do anything so vulgar as to actually say i'm a postmodernist but um it's, it's completely postmodern the most read theorist in postcolonial theory and and very much so so they have not come and gone and uh you know, I, I I do think it's a problematic trend, especially because I see it happening uh, so much in Europe. Um, you know, it started in American universities, but it's um, it's creeping all over the world. Intersectionality. Um, there's a simple truth, yes, that there's something different about the intersection, say, of racism and sexism. Okay, no, I mean that's a simple truth that I wouldn't. Um, wouldn't disagree with. What bothers me is the way that talk of intersectionality often reduces people to their oppression. I would like an intersectionality that talks about the ways in which all of us have um, many more than one identity um, you know, and they range from, I mean, our first identity is child, it's helpless child, you know, when, and at certain points when, you know, if we decide to have children when they're young, our main identity is, oh my God, I'm a parent, how am I going to, you know, <laughs> keep it all together, you know. Um, we identify with our political convictions that are deeply important to us. People who are musicians are always musicians you know, um, etc. And um, it's when I when people first began talking about intersectionality, I did hope that it was a way to validate the fact that we have, you know, many identities and that we're not reducible. But what intersectionality does is to um, to focus on the parts of our identity that's oppressed. And one of the things that that means is it focuses on the parts of our identity over which we have the least control, and that's dangerous. Thank you, um, Professor Dowd. The latest jobs report shows employers added 339,000 jobs last month. Just blowing through expectations for May. That is well above even the pace that we had seen 
in the month of April, which was revised up to 294,000. The jobs count has now beaten estimates 14 of the last 17 months. That's the 29th straight month of job growth in America. There's really no other way to interpret this report as consistent with a labor market which remains incredibly strong. It remains just red hot. It's a great time to be a worker. This is the kind of report that will likely trigger Joe Biden to take a victory lap. So we've been averaging, get this, 341,000 jobs every single month for the last 12 months. It's a pretty startling number. Put simply, I would argue the Biden economic plan is working.